Hi friends, this is Susan. I wanted to pop on and introduce today's episode. Uh, today actually is a live event that Katie and I participated in in December at the National uh, Marine Corps Museum in Quantico. Uh, we were part of the event the Military Wives Connect had their Christmas soiree. Um, one of the speakers that evening was Ginger Gilbert Ravella, and we are so thankful to Rachel Faulkner-Brown for introducing us uh, to Ginger, and you're going to hear her story uh, today, and it's going to be live, and I will tell you this, while it is heartbreaking, it is also incredibly hopeful. And at the end of uh, this episode, you're going to want to know how you can connect further with Ginger. Um, she is on Instagram at ginger.gilbert.ravella, and um, if you're on Instagram, I want you to go there. She's got a link to the anchor of hope.com. Click over there and you will see her book. And you guys, her book is unbelievable. Um, so I encourage you to check that out, check her out, connect with her. And we are just so grateful that she was with us. So lean into this guys. And we hope you enjoy. We love y'all. Ginger Gilbert Ravella, and I am an Air Force uh, widow and wife, and I'm the mother of five, and I'm the stepmother of two, and I'm a Texas girl. And, uh, yeah, get your guns up. I'm a Red Raider. If there's any, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, wreck them. And um, I, uh, I didn't know anything about the military growing up. I grew up. My dad was uh, the um, president of a community college, and. And so when I uh, met Troy uh, in college and he wanted, he was in ROTC at the time, he wanted to join the military, I knew nothing about it. His father was enlisted in the Air Force and um, he was in ROTC. I didn't know anything about that. I just remember that he would be in his uniform and, and I would um, want to walk and hold his hand. He's like, don't touch me. You can't touch me. <laughs> like, what is up with that? Who made that rule? I mean, come on. Like, the president is telling you that I can't touch you. So... I've come a long way in understanding what military life was really like, and it was um, bittersweet for me, um, but I will tell you that it shaped uh, who I am today. The, the military family itself, it, they're the most amazing people I have ever known in my life, and I have met presidents and first ladies and movie stars and country singers, and I will tell you the most incredible people our military families, spouses, and kids. And um, so, yeah, so I, I'm honored to be among you tonight. Thank you for being here. So in this short amount of time that Rachel and I have together, uh, we want to share We want to share a word of encouragement. We want to share a word of hope. And if you uh, laugh, cry, whatever, along the way, then that's okay, because we're women, and we can do that. And <laughs> unashamed, you know, we're not like men who have to hide it. You know, I, I speak to a lot of, you know, men's groups, and you can tell they're embarrassed that they have, you know, cried. I'm like, wow, it sucks to be a guy. Like, <laughs> I don't know how y'all, how, how you do that. Um, so I married Troy. 
he was a fighter pilot in the Air Force, an F-16 pilot. That was his dream was to fly. And we had five children together, and he served for 11 years. We were married for 13. And um, when he uh, was asked to go serve in Iraq, he was an instructor pilot. We were at Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix, Arizona. And he was also an advanced agent for President Bush. And he wasn't supposed to deploy. And we all know how that goes, right? Uh, those assignments where you're not supposed to deploy. And when he was asked to go by the general that he was an exec for, um, who he was then going, that general was going to be the commander at Balad Air Base in Iraq in 2006, and said, I need you to be my standard and evaluations pilot, which is the top pilot teaching all the other pilots how to fly in combat. And so I remember when Troy came home and said, he's asked me to go. I believe this is what God's calling me to do. I've trained um, how many years forever. He'd flown to Northern Watch, but never in combat. And um, at the time we had, let's see, we had an eight-year-old. We had a five-year-old. We had a two-year-old. And we had two three-month-olds. And I was like, this isn't really a good time for me. (laughs) So if you could just go tell the general that, that would really help me out. And um, about a month later, he came back to me and he said, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I said, I know. This is what you're supposed to do. And I remember he stood in the the doorway of our our bedroom and and I said, but what if something happens to you? We're never going to forgive ourselves because... You're volunteering to go, basically. This was not what you had to do. You could say no. And he said, first of all, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm a fighter pilot. That sounds like a fighter pilot, if you know any fighter pilots. Yes. And he also said, but if something did, you would know without a doubt it was God's will. And that was it. I never thought about that conversation again. And he'd been gone about three months. It was right after Thanksgiving of 06. I was... um, in the backyard, a girlfriend of mine, another pilot's wife, who had uh, told me before Troy left, she said, I want to come over one day a week and help you pick a day. And I'm just going to come that you never have to question. I will always be there on that day. And I said, I don't know. How about Monday? She said, okay. She'd come every Monday for three months. She'd gotten to my house about 15 minutes prior. We were having Starbucks um, in the backyard. And my boys were at school. They were in kinder and second. And Bella was jumping on the trampoline with her little boy in the backyard. And the babies were down for a nap. And then I got another knock at the door, and I thought, well, that's weird, because she's here, and I wasn't expecting anybody else. And so I go to the door, and we had a screen, and I looked through the screen, and I saw this sea of blue Air Force uniforms. And I knew that well. It hung in my closet. And I thought for one split second, I wonder what they're doing here. And then I looked at their faces, and I knew that something horrible must have happened. And they came in, and told me that Troy and his F-16 had gone down in a combat mission. It had hit the news, um, not released his name yet, uh, but they wanted to come and and tell me um, that they hadn't gotten into the crash site yet. And so I remember not much about that conversation, but I do remember saying, this can't happen, we have five kids. This this can't happen, we have five kids. Over and over again. Like, that's going to somehow turn back time, right, if you just say it long enough and enough and they came back eight hours later and in that time my friends and yeah I start coming in to town and 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 loving me and praying with me and we start cleaning because my house was a total disaster I mean really um and they came in and told me the unexpected the unthinkable 
which was not only that he didn't survive, they didn't believe, but they didn't really know because he had been taken by insurgents um, after the crash. A predator, UAV predator, had filmed the whole thing, and they had sent um, unprecedented number of men and women in harm's way trying to find him in those days and months and years that would follow. And um, our private family pain became front page CNN news. And I was a soccer mom. <laughs> I was a military wife. I was not prepared at all for what the world was about to throw at me. And um, uh, there were some skull fragments at the crash site, and they said, we know there's no way he could have survived. Uh, if those were a match with his DNA, it's going to take us about five days to have those sent back to Bethesda, and, um, and then we'll know for sure if he you know, had indeed been killed. And so you know, in that amount of time, I'm thinking of all the POW wives you know, from past conflicts and what they went through, the not knowing, which is so much worse. Uh, I think sometimes in the knowing, and um, prayed that he wasn't being held at the hands of the enemy, alive, tortured, and um, and in those days, you know, uh, of waiting and hoping and praying, uh, there were still. It was already evident that God was providing for us, even in in those in those those moments of of, of chaos and confusion and and and. The, the unthinkable times of sitting down with your children and telling them what has happened to their dad. And um, I got a package in the mail um, one day, and it was from Troy. He'd mailed it days before his crash. And I opened this box, and it's gifts to the kids. And it's a video he made of himself. Um reading Bible stories and Christmas stories. And um, he sat on top of a building in Balad with a machine gun strapped to his back reading, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's Troy. You know, he was a dad and a husband, even though he was far away from us and doing a lot of hard and dangerous things. He was still thinking of us. Um, and so... I didn't watch that video for a year and a half, by the way. I, I couldn't do it. But um, So the five days comes, the DNA is a match, and we go to Arlington. And, and uh, we bury my children's father in a full casket. We followed that case on, and not a one of my kids knew that their dad wasn't in there. Because how do you tell children that that kind of hate exists in the world, that someone would not respect another life? Like that, but Troy respected life, and the reason he lost his was because he saved twenty special operators out of Fort Bragg. He saved forty-five cavalry one-one troops in the army. They were out protecting the perimeter. I got to meet one of them actually last year. I've met some of the special operators, and those guys, yeah, they pretty much get out of anything, and they weren't getting out of it that day. And um, when they called over the radio and screamed for anyone overhead flying, Troy was flying close air surveillance, um, they said, anyone up there, save us. And I got a letter from the ground forces commander 
And he said, I will never know your husband, but I sensed his strength of character, his desire to put his life on the line in the defense of ours. And we will forever be indebted to his debt because he did not loiter at high altitudes. And I remember asking my other pilot friends, what does that exactly mean? And they said, well, normally fighters are flying at 10,000 feet. You know, and a show of force is enough. It's enough to maybe, you know, scare off the bad guys and save the good ones. But Troy didn't believe that was enough because there was about a mile and a half from our guys on the ground and the bad guys because he could see them and two insurgent trucks. And he took out the first one and on the second pass while he was taking enemy fire, he would fly just 50 feet below, too low. And his tail would clip the ground. And, and, um, and when they explained what all he had to do to get from 10,000 feet to where he was and to shoot with the gun and not drop a bomb because he couldn't take out, you know, it would kill innocent civilians and, and possibly harm our guys. And so he had to come in low. And he had to risk. And he had to sacrifice. And... I've thought about that, that statement. What does that mean in my life now? Because I was so humbled at the people that walked into my world. that I had never even knew. I didn't know a fallen soldier's family. I didn't know a wounded or disabled family. I didn't know a soldier with PTSD. I was living in some kind of bubble especially back in 2006, before the war was as bad as it got. And I was like, wow, all of these people cared about me, friends and family, of course, but strangers, strangers. I'd get a check in the mail for $5, you know, and I thought if somebody takes the time to find who I am and write a $5 check, you know what? They gave me the most they could give me. And what had I done? I didn't live my life like Troy lived. I lived my life to serve him and our family. I served the Lord and our church, and I was a good friend and, you know, a good neighbor. But what did it really cost me? You know? And so now, all these years later, 12 years later, 12 years last week later, I, um, I have most definitely decided that it needs to cost me something. And I need to help other people. And so I've helped a lot of military families and education and um, in other ways, just counseling and being there for people. And, um, and Troy was my model for that because um, he loved those guys, even though he didn't know them. And, um, and so as, a, as the years went on, and um, I, I went through a lot of dark days, depression, anxiety, insomnia, um, I wouldn't have taken my life, but I would have absolutely willingly bought a ticket of any plane that was going down and bought them for me and all five of my kids. And um, just that kind of hopeless feeling. And I knew the Lord. And I knew all of his promises that I had learned about since I was a little girl. But until your faith is put to the fire, you know, you don't really, really know what you believe. And so I, I tested God. I I yelled at God, shook my fist at him. And, and I think sometimes, especially in the church, people are afraid to say that. You know, oh, don't say you're mad at God. I'm like, you know he knows, right? I mean, <laughs> he's God. 
and he can take it. And he loves you and he loved me and he didn't stop loving me or loving Troy or loving our children the day that Troy crashed. And that took a while for me to really believe those words because I felt like he had let our family go on the altar, you know? But God in his faithfulness showed up every day in the form of someone with a casserole, someone with a plunger, somebody with a hammer, somebody to babysit. And every day I knew enough to know from my faith in the Lord I have to find something to be thankful for. I have to fixate on that because if I look around me without the perspective of the cross, heaven, of who God really is, then I'm going to look at my situation and go, I'm never going to make it. And what have I got left? But if I focused on the one thing I had to be thankful for, and I will tell you, even on the worst days, the days where our family picture would be on Al Jazeera because the insurgents would, would um, pop it up there and put baby killer. Or they would drag Troy's body through the streets and film it. And I mean, horrific things like 9-11 at my front door. On all of those days, still, I watched God provide. I watched my kids be carried and, and loved supernaturally by others when I couldn't. I mean... I question, Lord, really, you let me have twins the same year their dad dies? Like, who does that? And you know what God showed me a couple of years into their life? That was not for you. That was for them. Remember all those nights you didn't get up when they were crying? You know who consoled them? Each other. Because they'd be right next to each other the next morning. So sometimes God was like, it's not about you. It's about my plan and my purposes. And Romans 8, 28 says that he will work all things together for the good for those who love them and who have been called according to his purpose. And I can promise you things don't feel good sometimes, don't they? And our definition of good and his definition of good, I'm like, really? I, I'm not jiving with your good, Lord. But he does. He does. He still works those things in your life if you love him. And you follow him. And he doesn't ask you to understand him. Because you know what? You won't. And you have to. If you're walking through something difficult today and you're wanting an answer of why, why, Lord? Because that's kind of where I got with him. Like, you tell me why. And then I'll, then I'll keep marching forward. And a really sweet friend who had lost her husband said, you know what? You need to stop asking why. Because you may never get that answer. And you need to start marching on whether you feel like it or not. And the feelings will follow. And that was really great advice. Because those are the days that I just was like, okay, all right, I'm going to get out of bed and keep walking. And the feelings did follow. And in um, 2008, uh, I met uh, another Air Force pilot who lost his wife to cancer. His name's Jim. He was a colonel, and um, we fell in love, and it was nuts, and we got married in like five months, and I think we'd had like four dates. I, it was crazy. <laughs> and um, he had two boys, um, a troubled teen and a 20-something, and I had babies in diapers, and it was nuts, but we knew. We knew that we were supposed to be together, and whatever this looked like, this next chapter 
that we were going to do it together and that there would be a way and you, we still allow each other to love the other spouse and all that. Um, but Jim didn't mean God was good. Jim didn't mean that God started loving me and providing for me again. Because even in all those days before, he was there and he was faithful. And in the waiting, if you're waiting tonight for something, I don't know what you're going through. But if you're like me, wait is a four-letter word. (laughs) And I hate it because I just want to know when. But you know what? I think if God would have told me, this is the day that you're going to feel better. This is the day that you are going to feel like you want to live again. Then I would have lived for that day. And I would have missed all the days in between that. That I feel that the Lord was trying to teach me and grow me into being more than I ever was before. And to be better and to not be bitter I will tell you, is a very difficult choice if you're facing that decision tonight because it is a lot easier to be bitter. And I've watched my husband's family go down that road. They don't have anything to do with my children anymore or me. And um, it's because they're so angry. And they they can't let there be beauty anymore because they think that that's what loving him and remembering him and honoring him means. And my definition is different. My definition is I'm going to stand up in front of a bunch of military wives tonight and I'm going to be your worst fear and I want you to not be afraid because God is with you, waiting for you, wherever it is he's going to ask you to go. Whatever he's going to ask you to walk through and to walk towards and to walk into. He is with you. He's already there. He was already there for me. In 2013, I got a call from the general that Troy served under, and he said, I want you to know they've, they've found some toe bones, Troy's. And Iraqi turned him into the Jordanian embassy and said, these are major Troy Gilberts. And they dug 100 Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of graves trying to find the rest of him. And he called me and he said, we've looked for a year. What do you want us to do? And I said, well, I guess we'll be going back to Arlington. We're going to bury some toe bones. And so I called the medical examiner at Dover, and I said, I just want to understand what do we, what do we have? What are, my kids, you know, are getting, they're older, and I'm having to start telling them what had happened. Your dad's really not in there. He's, he's home with the Lord, but his body is still in Iraq. But we have a little bit of skull, and we have, now we have some toes. And I asked the medical examiner, explain to me what we have. He said, about 60 paper clips weight worth of remains. And he, I said, well, what? And I think he was like, lady, are you nuts? Like, why do you want to know this? And I said, just, I just need to understand. And he said, well, the top of Troy's skull was what remained. That's the very hardest part of our skull, very top. And he said, what has been recovered now with his toes, he he said, it's the toe bones underneath the toenails. It's the very end of the toes. And I just started crying on the phone, and I said, so you're telling me that we have the top of his head and the tip of his toes, and that's all we've got? And he said, yes, ma'am, I am. And I said, well, I think that's the Lord telling me he's got the rest. And I need to trust that he's got all of us, too. And after 2013, and we went back and we buried those little toe bones, I had a piece that was different 
Not that I stopped praying. Not that I stopped asking for the Lord to bring the rest of him home. But I knew that the Lord was like, trust me, I've got him. And look, I've had you all this whole time. Maybe you didn't feel it. Maybe you thought I was silent. But I was there in the shadows. And I'm working. And then in 2016, I was at a volleyball tournament with my daughter. And my phone rang. And it was the general again. And he said, Ginger Troy's been found. And I said, all of them. <laughs> and he said, yeah. And in a middle-of-the-night recovery mission that um, I hope one day you'll see on the big screen because it was a crazy, dangerous story that these guys went on to find him. And they got him out of Iraq, and he'd been traded between Iraqi tribal leaders, his war trophy, and um, he'd been moved multiple times. But you know who found him? That same unit that he saved 10 years prior. Because that's our military. I mean, that brotherhood doesn't die. They did not forget. They did not leave him behind on the field of battle, so help them God. And so we went back in 2016, and Troy's the only one to be buried at Arlington three times. If you would like to go visit him, he's very popular. <laughs> when we went back this last time and I'm walking with my kids and I mean now my kids are 21 and 18 and 15 and those twins are 12 and um but I, a couple of years ago we were walking and we're walking behind the caisson again and I looked back and I see 400 people walking behind me and the kids and you know what half of those people didn't even know who Troy was they never knew him they knew his story. They knew our family. They loved and served us. They were military families. Just showed up. Just like he did. He showed up. They showed up. Now I'm trying to show up. And I think sometimes that's all God's asking y'all to do. Whatever it is, whether it's a hard marriage or a difficult family situation, whatever it is, he's just saying, just show up. Just trust me. Keep working. Keep hoping, because he is the God of all hope. I mean, that's what this season is about. He didn't have to leave heaven to become a baby for us, and he did. Because he said, I want you to know I know what you're going through. So I have a few um, pictures, because I love pictures, and then I'm going to let Rachel come back. I can't walk that far, so. Okay. <laughs> and my time's almost up, because there's my thing. Uh, okay, so... This was the family. Um, this was like three days before Troy deployed. And what I tell everyone from this picture is this was crazy. This was like a sheet dropped in front of our entertainment center that was like, <laughs> made, I don't, we got it at Walmart. It was so bad. And, but and this was super stressful because, of course, there's a million kids and he's like trying to get, you know, spun up to leave, you know, for Iraq the next day. And he's like, we really don't have time for this. I'm like, oh, we're taking a picture. <laughs> and that's the only really official family picture we ever had. So take pictures, which now we have iPhones, so I don't have to preach that anymore, so everybody is. But anyway, last family picture. Um, this picture I did not see until about four years ago. Um, 
a bunch of the things that were with Troy um, from the crash site had been uh, in the field. A friend had gathered them in Iraq that next day, and they had gone to be part of the accident investigation. And then they got stuck in a JAG office, a lawyer's office somewhere, and somebody found them and brought them back to me. And uh, one of the things Troy was flying with was a disposable camera um, that day. And um, I get this box back. And this disposable camera is, like, melted beyond recognition of really almost even looking like a camera anymore. And um, the memory card that was in that camera was pristine. Like, you bought it the day before and stuck it in there. And this photo was pulled off of that memory card. So you want to think God's not still working miracles today? Really? He's pretty personal. And so that was a selfie before selfies really were even a thing. So yay for Troy for being, you know, advanced. But look how peaceful he is. And like he was at war and then everyone that was with him in that Chinook was like, oh, we were being shot at. We hit the floor, you know, I mean, and I'm like, that's what the peace of God looks like. You can be taking a lot of hits from the enemy, whether it be foreign, (laughs) domestic or spiritual, and you can be at peace. It's possible. Um, this was the recovery mission. It's super dark because you can't really tell, but um, this was him, them getting his body out of Iraq and the flag covering his body, which covered him all the way home through uh, Baghdad, uh, launch stool, and back to America. So this is when I talk to non-military people. I'm like, this is why we stand up for the flag, right? Right. So uh, this is uh, my children getting the folded flag, which... Uh, super heavy if you've ever carried one of those home. My children now to the grave. And um, this is Jim and I and his two boys, and one of them's married, and the kids, and this was a couple of years ago, and so we're kind of a crazy modern-day Brady Bunch. But um, anyway, but I, I just wanted you to know, uh, I want to leave you with the last uh, scripture. It's um, John sixteen thirty three. And it says, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So God bless you. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me. Oh, and here's the book. I forgot. This is what I always do. This is why I'm not very good at self-promotion. But anyway, this is the book, Hope Found. Jim and I wrote it together. Um, And so it's his journey losing his wife to cancer. It's my journey losing Troy. It's our journey together and how we just kind of walk with the Lord. It's really written for anybody if you're just struggling with kind of trying to figure out how does God love me and and, um, and through, uh, through hard times. So anyway, that's it. There's some bookmarks in the back, but it's available on Amazon. Y'all just stretch out your hand. Let's pray for Ginger. I love my sweet friend. Thank you, Lord. That we get this time together, Lord. I pray right now for Ginger and her children and for Jim. And Lord, we all collectively, you say where two or more are gathered, you are there also. And so, Lord, we ask um, that you would bless this family with just the absolute favor of God that you have bestowed on them, that you would pour it out tenfold on their family for what they have endured 
and for what is to come. And Lord, we bless their ministry. I bless this book that it will go far and wide around the world and that the people in this room will be part of that and part of that story, that we will all step into their story and declare God's goodness even when there's pain. So Lord, thank you for my friend. I bless her in Jesus' name. Amen.